Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. The title of the message today is How to Have a Great Victory. One of the things that God wants to do is God wants to give you and I victory. The Bible uses that imagery. It says in Romans chapter 8, these words, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. The New Living Translation says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. God wants to work in your life and in my life in an extraordinary way. He delights to show himself powerful. He delights to show his glory and to demonstrate his power in our lives. When we come to 2 Kings chapter 13, we come to an extraordinary story. In fact, it's a I would say a strange story, and if you've been with us, you know that whenever you see something in the Bible and it's strange, then you know it's important. So don't read it and just say, oh, that's strange, and move on. No, stop and say, this is unusual, and it's unusual for a reason. God is wanting to say something important to me through this story. And this story is an example of God doing exactly that. It was a king who through Elisha had the opportunity to experience extraordinary blessing. Maybe the real question for any one of us is, how can you and I experience not just victory, great victory? Let's read it, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, the king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory The arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. The king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Later in the chapter, verse 25, we read, three times Jehoash defeated him, that's the king of Aram, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. What I want to do is I want to give you four keys to victory, and I hope you write them down uh, and think about them. And maybe this week, as you're getting ready for Thanksgiving, you would just ask the Lord to make each one of these things real to you and to ask him to apply them to your life personally, because I believe this whole story is very significant, not only for each of us individually. I've been thinking about it all week. But I would also suggest that for the season that we are in 
as a church. It is the timing of the Lord that we would be considering this because God is doing extraordinary things. And I would suggest to you that God is not only going to meet us in an increasingly extraordinary way as we move into 2024, but he wants to meet you and work through you and do things in your life that are extraordinary as we prepare for this coming year. I want to give you just taking notes, and I hope you are, four keys to great victory. Four keys to great victory. Key number one is you have to realize God wants to use you. We conquer through him. Doesn't say, remember the verse in Romans, doesn't say he's more than a conqueror. We know that. We're saying he, it says he makes us more than a conqueror. It says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. God wants to work through you. He wants to use you. Listen, the Christian life is an invitation to partner with God to see his purposes done through us on the earth, in the lives of people, and in our own life. In fact, you were created with that in mind. Maybe you've never thought about it, but God put you on this earth for a purpose. He has a purpose for you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Watch this which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you realize that in eternity before time began, God not only willed your creation, he willed your salvation, he willed your sanctification, you become more like Christ, and he willed your glorification. And along the way, he created you and designed you with unique giftings. You're not like anybody else in the world, thank God. In fact, if a person really knows who they are in Christ, they'd never want to be any, anybody else. When somebody is looking at other people and saying, I wish I was like her, I wish I was like him, it's because they don't understand what God has put in them and the purpose God has created for them to do. You were created on purpose with a purpose. God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you. So one of the things I love about GrowTrack is that when people take it, and you saw the advertisement in the, uh, in the announcements, I would encourage you, if you've not taken it or you've not completed it, that the great thing about that is it tells you what you could do in the church, how God could use you in the church. There are gifts that you have that maybe you've never thought about. And by taking Grow Track, you would discover the gifts God has given you. And it's when you and I use our gifts for the Lord. That's when we know his joy. That's when we have his strength. That's when we see God work in our life. Some of you are missing what God wants to do in your life because you're not serving, because you're not involved. You're not, you're not allowing God to work through you, and it's as he works through you that he does things for you. So grow check is so important. Too many people disqualify themselves by saying things like, who am I? How could God use me? Or why would God even want to use me? Some people are more aware of their failings than they are of the wonderful grace and love of God for them. 
And honestly, what's so encouraging about this story is when you come to 2 Kings 13, we're going to see a king. He's a wicked king, an evil king, but God wanted to use him, and God wanted to do good to him. You say, why would God do that? Romans chapter 2 tells us it's the kindness of God that draws us to salvation. It's when we see the goodness of God, when we see the work of God, the more we see of God's work, the more we know who he is, the more we love him, the more we look to him. And you see that in this king. Let me give you just a little background. We read the story, and we're going to go back through it. But when you come to this story, the king Jehoash is just taking uh, the reins as, as king of the kingdom. His father had been a particularly inept king. In fact, he had been defeated by their archenemy, the Arameans, and Elisha mentions them, and the result was that their land had been, their nation had been reduced in size because the Arameans had captured cities. They had taken captives, family members. They had slaughtered the army repeatedly so that by the time the Bible tells us this in the verses preceding this story, that the army only had 50 chariots and only had 10,000 foot soldiers. Something else to point out, the last time we meet Elisha in 2 Kings is in chapter 9. From chapter 9 to chapter 13, when he's mentioned again, 45 years have passed. He's gone from being a man in his 40s to now a man who's almost 90 years old. You say, well, why is the scripture silent? The Bible can't record everything that's happened. And we assume because the king comes to him, this young king, and the way he greets him and the way he reveres him, it's obvious that Elisha didn't stop doing miracles 45 years ago. He's continued to be used by God. And that's why the king respects him so. And now the king has learned that Elisha is dying, and it's very upsetting to him. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Now, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, the king of Israel, went down to see him, and he wept over him. I mean, he's torn up. You say, why? Look at what he says. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. The last time we saw this was at the beginning of 2 Kings when, remember, Elijah he was the prophet who preceded Elisha, and they were, they were walking together, and a chariot of fire came and separated the two of them, and Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. And as Elisha saw him, he said this very thing, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. What does that mean? It's a way of saying, you're the strength of the nation. A nation's strength was in the number of chariots and horses and the size of the army. And he's saying, you're the spiritual strength of the nation. And what will we do without you? And that's what this king is saying to him. How are we going to make it without you? Here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, Elisha, God was using you and we need that. Which is the same as saying, God can't use me. He's not thinking about what he can do, what God might do through him. He's thinking that if Elisha's gone, God has nobody to use. And the fact of the matter is, God wanted to use this king. Look at it. In verse 15, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. 
In other words, Elisha is saying, God wants to do something through you. God wants to do something for you. God wants to do something with the, for the nation. And he's saying to this young king, God wants to use you. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. Too many times, we're looking for God to use other people. And we have a tendency to think God could use somebody better than he could use us. So we think, well, you know, God could use the pastor, or God could use my mother, or God could use this person, or he could use that person. And, and we're disqualifying ourselves because we're saying, God could never use me, but he could use somebody else. And the fact of the matter is, God wants to use you. And if you're going to experience great victory in your life, it comes not because God is using somebody else, though he might, to bless you. If you want to experience great victory in your life, it will come as God works through you to touch other people. Works through you to bring victory to your life. Works through you to bring victory to your family. Works through you to bring healing to somebody. God wants to use you. So if we're going to have great victory, we've got to stop looking for other people to bring it to us, and we have to say, God, work in my life. Work through me. Declare your power. Show your power through me. God, if you can use anyone, you can use me. Well, number two, you got to recognize prophetic moments. This is absolutely critical. And I believe because of this point and what happens, it is a word for every single person in this room. It is a word for the church corporately and for everybody personally. Look at it, verse 16. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elijah, or Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. It's really just this beautiful picture. You got this young king. He's pulling the bow back. As he pulls it back, Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands, this old prophet. And watch what happens. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. And at that moment, as the arrow is going out the window, going to the east toward the land of Aram, Elisha has a prophetic word. What he's saying is that arrow is indicative of God's heart to bring the people of Israel victory. He says the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. What this is, is a prophetic moment. In that day, shooting an arrow or throwing a spear, if a king did it, it could actually be interpreted as a declaration of war if you were doing it in the direction of a country. And here is Elisha, and he's prophesying a military victory that they desperately need. But when you read the rest of the story, what you find is the king does not recognize the prophetic significance of this moment. And his lack of recognition cost him great victory. I want to just say to you, not every day is a day of prophetic significance. Every day has its own significance. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it, the psalmist says. And God can work in any one of our lives on any given day, and he does. But there are days 
when God prophetically is working unusually, when he's working significantly, when he is supernaturally visiting maybe a nation, maybe a, a, a church, maybe a person in a significant way. And there are moments when he shows up that are unusual. And if people don't realize it, this is the danger. If people don't realize what God is doing, they miss it. It's not like God just keeps knocking on the door, waiting. He shows up, he gives the word, and if people don't realize that they can miss out on what God would have done, what he wanted to do, and it doesn't happen because they weren't spiritually sensitive enough to see what he was doing. This is why a good prayer for every one of us is, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is why it's good to be sensitive to the Lord. Lord, I want to see what you're doing. I want to recognize those moments of visitation. Because if we don't recognize them, there is a loss to us. You see this throughout Scripture. For example, probably the greatest example is Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 19. When, the, when he came to the city, he wept over it. Why does he weep over it? Because he's God. He comes to Jerusalem, and the people didn't recognize him. Can you imagine? And he came with miracles, and he came speaking words that people had never heard. People would say, never have I heard anyone speak like him. And yet they missed it completely. And here's what he says. If you had only recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now, watch this. This is heartbreaking. It's too late. When God moves prophetically, either you recognize it and you enter into it or you don't, and then it's over. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. It's possible for God to be working all around you and you not realize the significance of it. It's possible for God to be working in an extraordinary way, in a unique way, and people absolutely miss it. And when they miss it, they stumble all over themselves, on the other hand, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now let me just make some application here because I, I very much feel this is for us. We're in a season of extraordinary visitation from the Lord. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. We're seeing extraordinary healings. And we're seeing an increase of them. We're seeing, along with it, an extraordinary number of baptisms. So I forget how many we baptized last year. It's probably over 1,600, and we baptized over 1,400 this year. I mean, that's extraordinary by any, anybody's calculation. And with it, Decisions for Christ. I told you about the youth in the auditorium. It's, it's exceptional, the number of people that are coming to Christ. It's amazing. 
But then on top of that, we're, we're seeing God work in an amazing way. So back in 2021, um, and listen, I've been here 32 years. So for 29 years, let me put it this way, 29 years, um, we have prayer for the sick every Sunday. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, I don't know everybody who's healed, but I would know a lot of what happens. Um, but in 29 years, I don't think I can name 10 people who were healed. And you think of how many people have come forward in all that while. It's, it's really amazing. I can remember one time um, when we were where the Evangelical Free Church is, we fasted for 10 days and we were going to have a healing service. And I don't, I was so disappointed because nobody was healed. So this idea that somehow, well, you know, John talks about it, so it happens. And that's why we're seeing all these healings is absolutely ridiculous and um, is spiritually obtuse. I mean, to say, well, you know, they just emphasize it and so it happens is ridiculous. In 2021, November and December, we saw 123 people healed. And I mean, for those who haven't been around, I mean, extraordinary healings. People with cystic fibrosis healed. People, several people with Parkinson's healed. Don't take their medicine. Uh, people with uh, Asperger's syndrome uh, healed. Multiple cancers healed. People with terminal bladder cancer healed. People with other terminal diseases healed. I mean, extraordinary. And then all of the joints, all the elbows, all the, all the legs, all the, I mean, it's extraordinary. One person, myasthenia gravis healed. Confirmed by mail. So we've seen extraordinary things happen. In 2022, 1,348 people were healed. You say, how, do, how are you counting? It's only, the only way we have to count is the testimonies we receive. So there could be more, but those are just the people that sent in testimonies. In 2023, we're probably at 1,800 healings. What I'm saying is it's a moment of extraordinary visitation. And it's touching people. And this week, um, I was visiting with somebody that working on our house, and, and the guy said to me, he said, uh, I want to tell you what happened to me. He said, all my life I've had a lazy eye. And he hasn't known the Lord. He said, all my life I've had a lazy eye. And he said, if I covered this eye, I wouldn't be able to read what's in front of me. My eye was to the side. But he said, I came to the church and he said, somebody stood up and said God was going to heal people with a lazy eye. I stood up and he said, my eye straightened out. And he said, I can read. And he showed me. He said, watch, I can read, I can read off the truck there. And then he said this. He said, but the greatest miracle was not the healing of my eye, but I gave my heart to Jesus. And when he told me that, <laughs> I just had to give him a big hug. I was like, that's so awesome. I mean, it's an amazing moment in the history of the church, in the life of the church, to have this happening. It's a prophetic moment where God is doing something extraordinary here, and not just here, but he's using what's happening here to touch other churches around the country. Now, let me say a couple of things to that. We're not, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to know what God is doing. Uh, I just know what he's doing here. I had, um, we've got pastors 
uh, that have sent us texts, emails, telling of the healings that are happening in their church, and it's been inspired by what God is, what they've seen God do here among you. So it's really amazing to watch it. Um, and I'll, I'll just kind of tell you that there have been a number of prophetic words, and I, um, I'm really quite uh, stunned by them. This is, in all my ministry, I've never seen anything like it. And the Lord is, is visiting the church, but the Lord is going to visit the church in a greater dimension than we've experienced. What a tragedy it would be to be in a moment of God's visitation on a place that is, I would suggest to you, once in a generation. You talk, I talk to people who are old timers, and they'll say, well, I remember when I used to hear stories and it's stories similar to what we're experiencing. It's once in a generation. And that's happening now. And God wants to do something in you. Something through you. Something for you that will give you great victory in whatever area you might need that. And it's a time of visitation. But it only benefits any one of us or all of us together if we recognize it and we say, God, you're in this place. You're working. You're moving. And Lord, we just want to step into that. We believe it. We don't have to understand it. This is the mistake people make. They think they have to know the details before they can really benefit from it. And that's not true. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we say, God, you're here. It's obvious. And so, Lord, we just want whatever you want in our heart. And we embrace it. So if you're going to see great victory, you have to realize God wants to use you. And you have to recognize a prophetic moment when it comes to you. And this is that moment. Number three. You have to refuse selfish or self-centered thinking. Look at 2 Kings 13, 18. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times. And he stopped. Some had pictured the king taking arrows. So when Elijah, Elisha says, get a bow and get your arrows, he's got a quiver full of arrows. And he shoots one of the arrows. And now Elisha says to him, you know, strike the ground. And and the Hebrew could read both ways. It could be him grabbing the arrows and hitting the ground. Or it could be him shooting arrows out the window and they would fall into the ground. You, it could be either way. I tend to believe he's asking him to continue shooting arrows. And yet what the king does, he's got a quiver full of arrows. We know that because of what Elisha's going to say to him. But he takes Three arrows, and he shoots them, and he stops. Why does he stop? Elisha, when it happens, is furious with him. He's angry. He said, why did you stop at three? You should have shot five or six. You see, it was a prophetic moment. But you have a king who knows prophetic things are happening, but he's not excited about it. He's not really interested in it. I think he possibly isn't sure he believes it. He might be like the person who says, well, that's great. 
We'll just see what happens, which is the same as saying, I'm not sure I'm in. I'm not sure I'm out. I'm just going to go with the flow. That's not entering a prophetic moment. It's a person who says, I don't know whether I believe that's true or not. That's not entering a prophetic moment. I made a list of reasons why the king possibly stopped shooting. I stopped because I felt I looked foolish and people would make fun of me. I mean, he's got to be thinking, well, if I keep shooting arrows out the window, attendants are seeing it. He's not aiming at anything. He's not hitting anything. He's just shooting him, and he's doing it because a 90-year-old man is telling him to do it. They don't understand and what are they going to say? And what are they going to tell people? And how is he going to look? Doesn't look very kingly shooting arrows out a window at nothing because a 90-year-old man says to do it. See, a lot of times people won't enter a prophetic moment because they don't want to look silly. They're afraid of what other people think. Well, I'm not going to get carried away with all this stuff. Really, so you're... God is moving in power, and you're going to hold back and say, I'm not going to get carried away. Guess what? You'll miss great victory. At some point, you got to say, I don't care what people think. Here's another, another thing. I stop because I'm not gifted at archery. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not, I'm not good at it. Who cares if you're good at it or not? It doesn't matter. A lot of people won't sing in the song service because they say they can't sing like it's an audition for The Voice or something. Listen, just sing. Just sing. Doesn't matter if you're gifted. Third, I stopped because Elisha didn't help me. He had his hands on my hands the first time, but after that, I was on my own, and I was like, well, I'm not going to do this by myself. Number four, I stopped because I didn't feel like anything was happening. This is where, when you're walking in a moment of the Lord's visitation, it's a supernatural moment. And the spiritual realities are greater than the, than the physical realities. And we have to remember in that moment, anytime God is working, anytime God gives you a promise, anytime God, is, you're standing and, and you're going to be prayed for or you're going to pray for somebody, you need to remember in that moment that we walk by faith and not by sight, that there are things that are happening in the heavenlies. There are things that are happening supernaturally that you and I can't see. And we dare not go by what we feel. Number five. I stopped because I didn't want to be selfish and ask God for too much. I say it because I hear a lot of people in testimonies, I read it. Well, you know, I just didn't feel like, I felt like if I, I, I stood that somebody else would get healed. And it's because they have this completely wrong view of God. Like it, they kind of view it like, you know, the, the pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. If you get a big piece, then that means somebody else going to get a little piece. Guess what? In the kingdom, you can have a big piece. The person next to you can have a big piece. And the pie is still there. There's always more than enough. Number six, I stopped because I was tired. Number seven, I stopped because I wasn't in the mood. And I'm just not feeling very spiritual today. I'm just not, you know, listen, you have to be careful what you do with your feelings. You can't listen to your feelings. We live by faith, not by feeling. And we act on convictions, not on how we feel. Number eight, I stopped because I didn't believe it would make a difference. That's the real problem. 
He's shooting the arrows and he's thinking to himself, what difference is this making? I don't, I don't know how this is making any difference at all. And yet the reality is, is making all the difference in the world. It's determining the amount of effort he puts into that moment and the amount of faith that he exercises will determine the number of victories that not only he receives, but that his kingdom receives. He's given an opportunity. It's a once-in-a-generation opportunity. 45 years, nothing has happened like this. He's given an opportunity to join with God and to do something that God not only was willing to do but wanted to go do, but he missed it. This is what's critical to understand, that when God gives us an opportunity, we've used the, you've used the expression, window of opportunity. We use that because that's saying it doesn't last forever. It's, it's not always going to be there. And in this king's case, he strikes the ground three times and the prophet's upset and the prophet doesn't say, now get a hold of yourself and you need to redo that because if you'll do it five or six times, you'll have great victory. It's gone. The opportunity's gone. This is how it works, and this is, this is the thing. When, when God is moving prophetically and supernaturally and powerfully in a place, it's for a season. I don't want to talk about the end of this because I still think we're at the front end of it. But I'm telling you, historically, unless the Lord comes back during this, this doesn't last forever. When it's over, it's over. And then what happens is, whatever you did, you did, and whatever you didn't do, you didn't do. But I can promise you this, you will tell your grandkids about it if the Lord tarries about what you saw and what you heard and what God did. But what a tragedy to think about what God did and how God worked and to look at your own life and realize you didn't step in, so you didn't experience the victory that you could have had. And I'm just simply saying, I'm, I'm not saying nobody's stepping in. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you are full on, you're fully vested in this, and you're amazing in the way you're believing. In fact, let me, let me say this about the church, because I want you to know I love you, and you are, you are an amazing group of people. I mean, a thousand people show up to pack food, you know, Thanksgiving baskets and deliver them. I mean, what church does that? And we paint schools and 1,200 people show up. And, and I mean, it reminds me, from the beginning, the church has been that way. People ask me, what do you like about James River? And one of the first things I always say is, you know, um, when you say giddy up, those people go. I mean, they, you know, you're active. You're, you're hands-on. You, I, I so love that. And you're... You know, you're here, you love God, you're in church. And many of you are totally bought in. But there are some, and you're on the fence. And God is speaking to you today because God has more for you than you could ask or imagine. And the pastor's heart in me wants you not to miss one single miracle, one single divine moment, one, one victory that God wants you 
to have. Opportunity is now. How long? I don't know. But what every single one of us should do is say, God, I don't want to miss one thing you're doing. I don't, Lord, help me to step in and step up and move forward in a way I never have before. Do things in my life. Help me to know you in a way I've never known you before. Build my faith. Make it what it was, never was before. If ever there was a moment to believe God could heal somebody, it's right now. Are you kidding me? College students laying hands on a guy and his face is instantly clear. That's the kind of thing God is doing. I mean, this week, to be able to pray for people and see people healed is, is extraordinary. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Smith Wigglesworth said this about opportunity. If you have to stop and get ready when an opportunity arises, you're too late. The opportunity is gone, and the chances are it will not be presented again. The time to be ready for a miracle is before the miracle's gonna, you have the opportunity to pray. Get ready, get ready for what God is going to do. He's moving. Number four, respond with enthusiasm to whatever God is doing. I mean, that's true if you don't see anything happening. Hey, for 29 years, we've responded with enthusiasm. But now we're seeing God do things we've never seen before. How much more should we respond with enthusiasm in a prophetic moment? There's something about enthusiasm. There's something about zeal that keeps us from missing what God wants to do. Watch this in 2 Kings 13, verse 19. The man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. What would that have required? Zeal, enthusiasm, energy, aggressiveness. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you'll defeat it only three times. Listen, the king's lacking enthusiasm. The American Heritage Dictionary defines enthusiasm this way. A great excitement or interest in a subject or cause. Look at this. Enthusiasm. Origin Greek. Enthusiasmos. From enthaus. In theos, God inspired, God in it. Literally, enthusiasm, in theos, God in it. When you believe God is in something, then you, it causes you to with energy, with an intensity, with excitement, with joy, to say, I'm gonna be a part of what God is doing. The Bible says a lot about enthusiasm. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. It says in the NIV this way, it puts it, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be on fire for God. Be, be all in for God. Be joyful about it. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 47, and whenever I read this verse, and as I go through the Bible, it always makes me pause. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you've received, who hasn't been blessed by the Lord? He says, if you can't get enthusiastic and joyful over that, you'll serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. You know, there's something about enthusiasm that keeps us on track with the things of God. 
Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Whatever it is you do for God, it has a spiritual value, a spiritual shelf life, a spiritual impact beyond what you can imagine. And it will be in heaven that you'll realize, oh, you mean that made that big a difference? Oh, you mean my serving there? You used it that way? There will be people who will come and they will greet you on heaven's shore. They'll say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of what you did. I'm here because of the prayer you prayed. I'm here because of the money you gave. Enthusiasm. You say, well, John, I'm just not a very enthusiastic person. And here's what I'd say to you. Then fake it till you make it. You say, well, I'm being a hypocrite. If I act zealous, then I'm not. You know what? You'll never experience the victory God wants to give you in your life by being true to your feelings. Because oftentimes what happens is, if you're true to your feelings, you'll give voice to the defeat inside you, and that will cripple what God would have done through you. Sometimes you got to pull yourself together and you got to talk to yourself like the psalmist says, my soul, why are you downcast within me? Put your hope in God for, oh yeah, praise him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes you got to get a hold of yourself and you got to say, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it. I don't feel like raising my hands, but I'm going to do it. I don't feel like singing, but I'm going to do it. I don't feel like praising, but I'm going to do it. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve the Lord with zeal. And when you do that, God is going to show himself powerful in your life and you will have great victory. And the victory will not only be for you, it will be for your children. It will be for your children's children. It will be for your neighborhood. It will be for your workplace. It will be for your family extended. Listen, when you serve the Lord with zeal, powerful things happen because you don't miss the opportunities God has for you.